Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Just before we start today's show... Uh, Mid-Atlantic listeners, I'd like to implore you to go over to our new YouTube channel. Yes, you've heard it. We finally are putting our shows up on YouTube. Quite simply, go to YouTube, search for Mid-Atlantic Podcast to subscribe to our channel. It's incredibly important that you do so for the sake of the algorithm. Some jiggery poke, which I don't quite understand, but you can watch all the episodes there and please, for the love of all things holy, please subscribe to the channel because it really will help me out. Now, plus, for an exclusive experience, visit royfield.com and sign up to our newsletter. Now, this will give you access to the live podcast recordings on Zoom, where if you are in the audience, you can engage and ask questions with our expert guests. So join us on this journey of exploration and understanding of the world of politics in the US, in the UK and globally. Subscribe and sign up today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. The United Kingdom is a great country. Never, never been a good bet to bet against America. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Mid-Atlantic Podcast, the very first of 2024. I'm your host, Royfield Brown. As we step into the new year, it's a time for reflection and insight on the year just passed. Today, of course, we're looking back at the year that was 2023, a year that was challenging domestically and geopolitically. We've invited friends of the podcast, individuals who have not only contributed to our discussions, but have also enriched us with their perspectives with their unique insights. Joining us on today's episode are broadcaster Ian Dale, author and thinker John Horgan, Australian activist and politician Keir Patterson, tech investor Francine Hardway and designer and lecturer Michelle Washington. Each of them will share a story that has resonated with them from 2023. Stories that not only have touched their hearts but also left a lasting impression on their minds and perspectives. As we journey through their experiences and reflections, we hope to uncover the layers that have truly made 2023 such a remarkable year. And to wrap up, I'll be sharing my own thoughts looking back at the year that was. 
We'll start with the first recollection from Michelle Washington, who will set the stage for our journey back through last year. She is a founder of the Curious Story Lab, a platform dedicated to exploring the narratives of designers through her podcast series and short documentary films. Hi, Rofil. This is Michelle talking to you. So, I'm trying to think like all the things that I start to think about. 2023. You know, I had this really interesting conversation today with a friend who's a designer and an educator. And you know, the one thing we talked about is me thinking about being a gallerist um, based on a conversation I had with another friend. I said that we really don't have design museums. When people think of design, they tend to think of like fashion design, interior design, and architecture. I start start to think about where are the spaces, cultural spaces, that a person who is a maker, that is a maker of objects, that does studio-based furniture, or even specific type of graphic design work, that is worthy of being exhibited or in a gallery space. Where aren't those spaces? And why don't we have enough of them around? The other thing I start to think about that I've started delving into in 2023 is issues surrounding Black maternal health and the mortality rate of women, the mortality rate of babies, and how in communities of black and brown communities, you have a high issue, a high rate of issues that surround women, black women, brown women, Native American women, when it comes to care. And a lot of it has to do with health disparities, inequities, lack of proper medical services. And even if you get good medical services, a lot of times doctors don't listen to the women when they tell them they're having issues. They're ignored. And a lot of times the doctors aren't trained to deal with women of color who have different issues than white women do. So those are some of the things that I have thought about for 2023. But anyway, I miss our conversations. All right, so I'm going to stop now. Thank you, Michelle, for shedding a light on this vital topic, a conversation that needs much more attention and understanding. Our next guest is a distinguished voice from the realm of science journalism. Joining us now is John Horgan, known for his thought-provoking book, The End of War. John brings to the table his insights on some of the biggest stories of the past year. Hi, Roy Field. This is John Horgan. I'm the science journalist who wrote a book called The End of War. So, biggest stories of 2023, well, one, obviously, is the uh, the war between Israel and Hamas, about which I've been writing. Another big story, and unfortunately it's uh, related, is the emergence of new powerful forms of artificial intelligence, such as ChatGPT. Artificial intelligence is being used 
on the battlefield in Ukraine and in the Middle East in ways that are really disturbing. And AI is being developed by uh, nations around the world, especially by US and, and China and Russia. So that's worrisome. Anyway, thanks for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. Thank you, John, for your insight. The intersection of technology and global conflict is indeed a crucial issue that demands our attention and understanding, but also raises crucial questions about our future. Stay tuned as we explore the defining stories of 2023 with more of our friends from the Mid-Atlantic podcast. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. As we continue our special episode reflecting on the impactful events of 2023, we're joined by a voice familiar to many in the UK. It's Ian Dale from LBC Radio in London. Ian is known for his commentary and engaging radio presence. Here are his perspectives on the things that have been deeply impactful for his listeners in the past year. Hello and a happy new year to all Mid-Atlantic podcast listeners. It's Ian Dale from LBC Radio in London. Uh, full of cold and snort and it, it's horrible. But anyway, enough of that. You don't want to hear about that. Um... I'm going to be a little bit predictable, I suppose, and pick the Israel-Gaza war as my most important event of the year, not just because it's obviously a worldwide, uh, of worldwide significance, but because it's affected so many people on, on both sides 
Um, and I think even those of us who aren't Jewish, who aren't Muslim, who aren't Arab, who aren't Israeli, have felt this in a really personal way. And I suppose I covered it on my radio show for several weeks to the exclusion of virtually everything else. And to hear the desperation in many of my uh, Jewish callers' voices as they, they've coped with the fallout um, in this country where there's been a huge rise in anti-Semitic behaviour. I don't understand it, but it's happening. And to hear the utter desperation in the voices of many of my Muslim listeners who do not understand what has gone on, can't logicalize it. Um, they know that the Hamas terrorist act was appalling and are quite happy to say so. But they don't understand the response. And I, I remember one phone in I did when the phrase from the river to the sea was in the headlines. And uh, we, we took some pretty awful calls, I'll, I'll, I have to say, on that. And I, I can remember being on the train home and with tears in my eyes, which, I mean, I can be quite emotional, I suppose, but over something like that, and I thought, wow, this is really affecting you, and it was. And it's got to the point where when I do a phone in Israel and Gaza, I cover up the text and tweet screen. I do not want to see the, the vitriol, the pure hatred that comes in on the screen because it then puts me off what I'm about to say. It's the only time in 13 years on the radio that I've done this. So why is this conflict getting to me in a way that maybe others haven't? I mean, I've been very outspoken on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but has that affected me emotionally in the way that October the 7th did? No. It, it, it hasn't, apart from when I meet Ukrainian politicians in the studio, um, they really do have an effect on me. So uh, as we go into 2024, I, I can't say I'm very optimistic about the state of the world in international affairs, particularly Israel and Gaza. I don't see where the end game is. You, you can't eliminate an ideology. You can eliminate terrorists, but you can't eliminate an ideology. So I don't know where this ends. And then you look at Russia and Ukraine, and th this is going to be a crucial year. And the world seems to have ignored Ukraine over the past couple of months, which I think is an absolute disgrace. Can, can we not uh, deal with more than one crisis at a time? It says an awful lot about us, doesn't it? We're going to have elections all over the world this year. About half the world's population, or, or democratic population, is going to the polls this year, particularly in the United States. Um, God, goodness knows what's going to happen there. Um, in this in this country, in the UK, we'll have an election at some point, probably either in May or November. Um, I think it's quite clear what's going to happen there because those just will be out of power for the first time in 13 years. But do I feel optimistic that a new government would be able to turn around and come back from the failures of the current one? No, I don't. I'm normally really optimistic going into a new year. Maybe it's just my muddled, foggy head that is making me feel a little bit more pessimistic than I normally do. But whatever politics brings, whatever uh, events happen, um, good luck to Roy Field and the Mid-Atlantic podcast. I know he's got some very, very loyal listeners and quite right too. And um, I, I hope whatever happens in the world, the new year brings you the fame and fortune that you desire. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for that contribution, Ian. The emotional impact 
of global events in real time when you do a radio phone-in show, which adds a deeply human dimension to any news story. Our next guest brings a unique and a singular perspective from Australia via Southeast Asia. Kia Patterson is a community worker and occasional politician from Melbourne. My name is Kia Patterson. I'm a occasional politician and full-time community worker living in Australia, born to Australian and English parents, uh, but I grew up in America, so I am Mid-Atlantic and Mid-Pacific, uh, and or possibly just confused. But, um, uh, I've been I've spent the last two weeks in the Southeast Asian nation of Laos, currently in its capital, Vientiane, and it has led me to reflect on the year uh, that's passed and some of the Jerusha complex we've experienced uh, and that we read about every day in the news. It, the remarkable thing about the Lao people is uh, during the what they call the Second Indo-Chinese War uh, between the years of 1964 and 1973, there were 280 million bombs dropped on this country uh, indiscriminately in, uh, uh, with a very narrow political aim, uh, and, but the end result was millions of people dead. Uh, in fact, one ton of explosives per capita man, woman and child in Laos were dropped during those years. The remarkable thing about this country is the people don't seem to harbour any resentment uh, or rage. Uh, they're not seeking retribution. They're not seeking revenge. And it has led me to think about some of the complex that we see around the world where people are being killed indiscriminately. Uh, for reasons of either revenge uh, or for to achieve political aims, uh, and the difference between a, a nation where uh, young people are forced into compulsory military service versus one where the majority of people, or at least the majority of young men, spend time in a monastery, seeking inner peace, and thinking about the interconnectedness of all living things. So my hope for twenty twenty four is that we can move some way towards peace uh, in the Middle East and elsewhere uh, in some of the horrific and damaging conflicts that are happening around the world. Now, that doesn't seem like a vain or even foolish hope, but I am heartened by the words of one of my favourite poets, the great Irish poet Seamus Feeney, from his poems, The Cure of Troy, where he says, History says, don't hope on this side of the graves. Once in a lifetime, the long for way of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. So here is hoping for a 2024, uh, again, possibly all of the available evidence and all of the lessons of history, but a hope must prevail that we can start to heal some of the horrific conflicts uh, that are around the world that are causing untold suffering. Thank you, Kia, for your hopeful message. The contrast between peaceful resilience of the Lao people and their perspective on forgiveness is most definitely an important one when we look at the Middle East conflict. Now we're joined by a voice that brings a deeply personal perspective to the year's most contentious issue. Francine Hardaway is a tech investor and serial entrepreneur. She shares her perspectives and reflections on the war between Israel and Hamas. 
Her viewpoint is particularly poignant considering her heritage. The incident in history that has affected me the most this year is the war between Israel and Gaza. I had no idea Israel had become an oppressor, and I had no idea that the Palestinians were in a position to attack them. I mean, it just seemed to come out of left field, and it shocked the, the heck out of me because as a Jew who has not paid much attention to being a Jew, I have now had to deal for the first time in my life, and I am 82, with ever-present anti-Semitism around me. And I thought that that was gone in 1944 when the war, the Americans, you know, came in and helped the Jews win the war and start Israel. So I don't know. I have such mixed feelings about that. Thank you, Francine, for sharing such a personal and heartfelt perspective. Your reflections remind us of the profound impact global events can have on individual identities and beliefs. I'm just going to quickly end up with my story of the year, which, and anybody feel free to ask me a question. I didn't even think I was going to do this. For me, it's the obvious one. Um, From about the age of 10, my mum used to give me a bus fare to go on a Saturday down to Perry Bar Library to go and get books out. I'd jump on the number 33 bus, go to Perry Bar Library, and I pulled out two books the first time I went, The History of Austria and The Six Days War. And little little mean short trousers. I wasn't wearing short trousers at the age of 10, but just go with the image. I was just enthralled to the ingenuity and the daring deeds of the Israeli army and Moshe Dayan and older listeners of this podcast will remember he was the defense minister of Israel. He had an eye patch like Nick Fury on uh, in the Avengers and or a pirate. Bald head like Telly Savalis. The man looked cool. I also felt a oneness with the Palestinian people at the age of 10. I could say the Israelis have done something amazing in this six days war but I really empathized with these stateless landless people and 45 years later now 55 i've never lost that that the israelis have a right to exist however that is not at the expense of the palestinian people and the war didn't start with that hamas outrage on the 7th of september it didn't start when it didn't start in 1967. It didn't start in 1972 with the Yom Kippur War. It didn't start at the first Intifada, the second Intifada. It didn't start in 1948 at the birth of the modern state of Israel. It started before a British-mandated Palestine and the fact that the British government overrode land ownership to the Arabs and favoured Jewish migrants returning, returnees, or immigrants to the Holy Land. And of course, that wave of new settlers accelerated after 1945 because of the Holocaust, not even genocide, but Holocaust that the Jewish people had encountered. 
And it is beyond irony, the pogroms, the vicious, historic enmity which is shown towards the Jewish people, that was nothing to do with the Arab people, nothing to do with the Palestinians. And that they then find themselves dispossessed, generations of people dispossessed. And Hamas are terrorists. However, they're at the extreme of a hopelessness and a desperation that people have felt for four generations who have found themselves landless. Gaza is a refugee camp, fundamentally. A refugee camp built on a statelessness of a people who have been surrounded by the Israeli state, economically controlled. And that doesn't mean, and with my critique, that doesn't mean that Israel should not exist. I'm not saying that at all. The, the only way that the state of Israel will have peace is when Palestinian people have an equitable and justifiable state. Not a state lit, not a Bantu stand, not some weird legal grey area where they might have a police force, but they don't even control water. And when you can't go from one major city, you can't go from Ramallah to Jenin to Bethlehem to Nablus without going through an Israeli roadblock. I went to Israel 10 plus years ago. Fascinating, beautiful country. People were so lovely. It is fundamentally not the state of Israel, but the areas that Israel controls is an apartheid state. It is. And through all of the Arab, the Palestinian extremism and Hezbollah and Hamas are at the extreme end. There's no two ways about that. Don't condone them in in one iota, but there are extremists on the Israeli side. And one of the few things which has come out of this tragedy since October the 7th is that the world is waking up to the extremists on the Israeli side. That there are people in that government who do say from the river to the sea, do say that they want to get rid of all the Palestinians extensively from the West Bank, but now see that they have an opportunity to get rid of the Palestinians from Gaza as well. Israeli ministers have said, we should just nuke them. It was an unguarded moment, but it's actually been said. So, I think we have a historic opportunity to rein in some of the excesses of the Israeli state. The world is seen, the response is disproportionate. 50% of Gaza is being flat. 50% out of a population of 2.3 million people, 1% have now been murdered in the last two months. This is unsustainable, totally unsustainable. And I am not looking for the destruction of the state of Israel. But the utter opposite, Israel to have peace and security, but to have peace and security because it has peace and an equitable peace with the Palestinian people. I have a question for you, Royfield. As I think of you as a pretty intense devotee of the study of history. And one of the things that I have found to be really fascinating about the way we talk about these issues of this conflict is a rampant, some would call it ignorance, some would call it 
disparate understanding of the moving parts and the facts and the history of this conflict. It's as if our lack of historical education has been put on full display. What do you think about when you hear the arguments, conversations about this conflict so often misstated, the the history misrepresented, the terminology challenged? What do you think about that? Many people say that you need a PhD in Middle Eastern studies to understand the Arab Palestine, the Arab Israeli conflicts. Let's call them the Israeli and Palestinian conflicts. You don't at all. It, it's actually very simple. It's very simple. We have a people who were living in that land up until the Brits came along and their rights were slowly but surely, not even that slowly, quite quickly eroded. And the world had an understandable and a justifiable, and I say that really clearly, a justifiable sympathy for the Jewish people, definitely circa 1945. Six million people were roasted to death in in ovens. But that was nothing to do with the Palestinian people, though. Nothing at all. Right. This is the tragedy of the whole thing. Right. It was understandable that the revulsion that what had been done to the Jewish people, that the world collectively says, we need to give them their own country. And yes, Zionism from um, Herzl had been around since the the 1890s. And yes, there'd been somewhat of of a trickle of Jewish migrants going back. But actually, it's pretty simple. And then this people fought to be independent because the Parchian in 1947, as mandated by the UN, disproportionately gave them 51% of this of the land of the state of Israel. And they had nowhere near that population. I think it's 20%, 30%, nowhere near. And the Arabs went, what? Right. Denise, it's so simple. Right. It's so simple. And we have been fed in the West a line of propaganda. No, that's a loaded word. One, only one side of this narrative, only one side, the Palestinians, there are approximately 7 million of them. They're state, they're fundamentally stateless. Yes, 100 plus countries have recognized the state of Palestine. They don't control water. They don't control energy. There isn't an airport in Gaza because before the Israelis left, they blew it up. International maritime law says that each country ha- controls the sea three, five, twelve miles away fr- from its border. Not in Gaza. The Israeli government said, no, you don't control the sea. So they can't even develop their own commerce if they wanted to. It's not complicated, Denise. It's actually very simple. And we, we should all have enough compassion in our hearts to recognize that fact but then also to understand the historic reasons why the Jewish people are so anxious about their own security. Not only have they fought the War of Independence, the Six Days War, the 1956 War, the Yom Kippur War, for their independence, surrounded by nations that are erstwhile their enemies, 
So you understand their heightened readiness to go to war, but still, the West, Britain, America, needs to say, you need to rein this back. They have, in the last two months, they have destroyed so much of the goodwill that the Israeli state had throughout the world because this disproportionate killing of innocent people and the whole world has seen that there is no plan for the Palestinian people as far as the Jewish state is concerned. They are prepared to let this statelessness go on for another 70 plus years. I'm going to ask you a question as well. And you've very interestingly cataloged the history, talking about the British coming in at some point and then the UN sharing it, which in a way that seemed unfair. I have seen some people on social media promulgate that a possible solution will be, and I have no views here because I don't think that it's right, but a possible solution will be to have a dead state somewhere in the middle as a barrier between Israel and Palestine. I'm going to ask you to get out your own crystal ball and think. tell us what you think a solution might look like. A solution is going to look something like this, that... I'm going to stick my neck out and say in the next 10 years, if this conflict continues in this way, Israel will have a Pyrrhic victory. They, they will claim victory and say we've worked at Hamas, but actually they've lost. They've lost any moral standing and a groundswell of support from the nations which have fundamentally given them their support since the founding of the State of Israel. Israel will have lost. Okay? So what will happen is some kind of combination of a Palestinian state on the West Bank, which won't be 100% of the West Bank, might not even be with East Jerusalem as a capital, but let's say it's going to be 70% of the land. The world will recognise and the Palestinians will say okay to the Israelis, some of those settlements which are contiguous to the state of Israel will agree to that and will draw the border around them. So those will become part of Israel proper. Israel has legitimate concerns about security, so control of the air. There will be some level of joint condominium to do with the air and the sea with a third state. And let's just say Jordan for the sake of argument. Jordan wants nothing to do with this, right? But in terms of a UN in parentheses condominium over air security, I could see that happening. And there is a precedent for this because the UN... When Kosovo became independent, the UN gave some level of governance and as a transition period. I forget how long it was before there were elections and then a Kosovan government came into power. So you could see something like that happening with certain aspects of security. There wouldn't be a Palestinian army, but there would be a, a, a militia, a something or another. And, and there are certain key bits of security which can be part of a wider governance to do with a third state, the UN, etc. But I tell you, I would say, looking at the history, of this has been such a massive own goal, considering the wave of sympathy that the world had after October the 7th with the brutal Hamas attacks, which again needs to be put in contact. They didn't come out of nowhere, right? There's 70-odd years worth of frustration. Again, not condoning them, but this is just a fact that I think in 10 years' time, you could actually see a Palestinian representative 
in the UN, not being an observer, but being a, a Palestinian UN ambassador. I think it would, it, it's 10 years away. It's interesting when you read Israeli newspapers and look at uh, Israeli media, the revulsion that they have for Netanyahu is palpable even before this attack. He was Mr. Security. He was going to keep Israelis safe. And the fact that with Qatar, it's now come out how he's been helping to fund Hamas and that actually keeping Hamas in power has delegitimized Fatah, the moderate Palestinian party. That all the time, if you listen to the most strident Israelis who want to continue this war to destroy the Palestinian people, they always talk about Hamas. What about what's happening on the West Bank? Israel has lost. This is the first significant defeat of the Israeli state. And this will presage in peace, no, a state for the Palestinians. And hopefully they will have leaders that are up for the job because Mahmoud Abbas and those um, oxygenarians running Atta, they're not fit for the job at all. There is a groundswell of anger with younger Palestinians that their leadership is out of touch, that I just hope that the right leaders will come in place to actually see the Palestinian flag go up on that flagpole at the UN and the Palestinians can take their place as a proud people. But again, not at the expense of the state of Israel. So before anybody says, I'm talking about from river to the sea, from no, the two states have to live side by side. And on that note, everybody, it's time for us to say goodbye. Bye-bye to you. 2023 has been, been quite the year, been quite the year. Thank you to all of our contributors for sharing such powerful and personal stories. But also, I am reminded as the new year turns, as true as war is an ever-present, so is the power for peace and reconciliation. Thank you for joining us on this very special episode of the Mid-Atlantic Podcast. Remember to stay connected, stay curious, and to keep listening to the podcast. So until next time, this is me, Royful Brown, signing off, wishing you a wonderful start to the new year. <laughs>